Good morning. It's good for everyone to be here. We have a good number with us. We do have visitors. We're grateful that you're here. Even though we have a few of our regular number who aren't with us, we do have a good number, and we are certainly grateful for your presence this morning. If you will, take out your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and when you get there, place your marker there, and then actually turn to Acts chapter 22. We'll be spending the majority of our time in Acts chapter 9, but our first reading will actually be from Acts chapter 22 this morning. Today we're going to be continuing a series we started several months ago looking at the idea of the first step. And once again, since it's been a while since we've had one of these lessons, let's remind ourselves what we're doing in this series is we're looking at several different stories in the Bible. We've looked at Adam and Eve. We've looked at Noah. We've looked at Abraham. Moses, Joshua, and the lesson this morning, what we're doing is we're putting, asking ourselves to put ourselves in their shoes. If you were Adam and Eve, if you were Noah, if you were any of these characters, and you were asked to do something by God, what would be going through your mind as you took your first step? Your first step out of the Garden of Eden, your first step onto the, to the ark, your first step out of your homeland, out of Ur, how would you have felt? What would, have, what would be going through your mind? And as we go through this, we've been drawing parallels of some lessons that we can learn from that. How we probably would have reacted and how they probably reacted to this. And so we're drawing lessons and seeing how we can make application in our lives to help us be better prepared. To help us be better servants of God. So this morning, as Brother Jacob has already mentioned, we're going to be looking at Saul of Tarsus. Now, I will say that throughout this lesson, don't be surprised if I use Saul and Paul interchangeably. We know that Saul will eventually become Paul. But in our lesson this morning, we're going to focus on Saul and what he did before he became Paul. But if I say Paul, just know that I'm talking about Saul. Very quickly, as just a way of review, once again, because it's been a while since we've had one of these lessons. In our last lesson, we looked at Joshua. And we thought about his first steps as the leader of God's people. And we asked ourselves, do you think he may have been a little afraid? Even though he is known for his courage and his strength, he is known for standing up for God, the fact that God has to tell him multiple times, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, I think that's a pretty good indication that he may have been afraid as he took over leadership of God's people. We asked ourselves and we said, do you think he may have felt overwhelmed? Think about who he's replacing. He's replacing Moses, a man who had led Israel for 40 years, a man that God calls my servant. And now Joshua is going to be the commander. He's going to be the leader of the people. And then finally, we asked ourselves, well, do you think he might have felt a little unprepared? Now, we recognize that Joshua was, as we would say, being groomed to be the next leader of Israel. We recognize that. But brethren, I think we all understand that there's a big difference in being trained for something than when you step into that role. When you're the man now, you're the one the people are going to be looking to. Uh, that's a little bit different. And so we ask ourselves, do you think you might have felt a little over or uh, unprepared for his role? And then we paralleled that and we said, when we think about our service to God, 
I'm not suggesting to you this morning that God is going to call us to lead some huge crusade or lead some a huge number of people to a new land. No, that's not what I'm suggesting. But we recognize that as Christians, our service to God and our mission is to go out to the world, to teach and preach the gospel, and to save as many people that will listen. That is our mission. And we made it very clear that just, just as Joshua, without God, he would have been doomed to failure. So too, we as Christians, if we don't have God on our side, if we're not doing things God's way, then we too are doomed to fail. We don't have a hope without God. Let's get into our lesson this morning. And let's think about Saul of Tarsus and his first steps into the city of Damascus. There are three things I want you to consider how he might have felt. Three things that I think that the scriptures make it very clear that, yeah, this is probably how he felt as he took his first steps into the city. First one I want you to think about, do you think that he might have been terrified? Now, if you'll notice that even with Joshua and several of the other lessons, we've asked, well, do you think there may have been a little fear? Do you think they may have been afraid because of what God has asked them to do or because of what they're being faced with? I chose this word, terrified. I think it goes beyond just being a little scared, a little bit of fear. I want to ask you again, do you think that Saul felt terrified as he stepped into the city of Damascus? Well, in Acts chapter 22, if you'll remember, this is when Paul is, or Paul, yeah, Paul at this point is giving a defense of his conversion. He's recounting what happened. And in verse 19, notice what he says here. Chapter 22 and verse 19. And that's the wrong verse. Don't you love it when you do that? That's first be verse 9. I thought I'd fix this. Chapter 22, verse 9. It says, and though, this is Paul recounting his story. He says, and those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So Paul makes it very clear at this point that yes, those who were with him, we know that they were afraid. They saw the light. They didn't hear the voice, but they saw what was happening. And Paul makes it very clear, yes, my companions, those who were going with me to Damascus, they had some fear. Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 9 now. And like I said, we'll spend the most of our time here in this chapter. And let's see the way that Saul reacted to what was happening to him. He's already made it clear his companions were afraid. Well, let's think about his reaction. Starting in verse 3, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. In verse 4, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's got this light shining around him, and the scriptures tell us that he just fell to the ground. Brethren, I don't know when the last time you were truly terrified. Once again, we're not talking about just a little scared. Something just, you know, you think about the movie where they have the jump scare where it's all nice and quiet and then something kind of jumps out at the characters and everybody goes, ah! You know, but then after a little while you start chuckling, you start laughing, you know, it's just really quick, right? That's not being terrified. Paul, Saul, is terrified. 
It says he fell to the ground. You know, you ever heard the phrase, he just lost all strength in his legs? He just, he falls to the ground because he is terrified of what's happening. Let's keep reading in verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now notice what it says in verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So get this picture again. The light shines down. He falls to the ground. Now in verse 6 it tells us he's trembling. Once again, when's the last time you were really, really scared? Did you shake? Do you not get this picture? He's on the ground. He's scared. He is terrified because he can't stand up and he's just shaking. He's trembling. Once again, I ask you the question, do you think he was terrified? Yeah, <laughs> he's terrified. Let's keep reading to verse 7. And the man who, stood, who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is not a little simple thing that, that Saul was able to just get over quickly, was it? He falls to the ground. He's trembling. And for three days and nights, he, he can't get over it. For three days and nights, he is still terrified about what has just happened. Do you think that Saul was terrified? Let me ask you the question, would you have been terrified? <laughs> if God had done this to you, would you not have just been terrified as to what's about to happen? The unknown, the not knowing what God is going to say or what he's going to have to do. Do you think that maybe Saul was terrified? I think he was. Let me give you a second thing. Do you think that maybe he was a little worried? Do you think that he was worried about what was going to happen in the city of Damascus? We already read verse 9, but remember he's, he hasn't eaten or drink, drunk for three days and three nights. Oftentimes in the Bible when we read about fasting, it's often done in times of great distress, right? There's so much stress on him, so much anxiety, so much worry. And fasting is one of those things that people would often do to help clear their minds. To help them focus on, on a specific thing. <laughs> what thing do you think Saul was focused on? What God told him. You go into the city and you're going to be told what to do. Do you think he was worried in that city? After all, what would Saul have to worry about? Well, we know the answer to that. Let's go back and read the first two verses of chapter 9. And let's think about what Saul is doing in Damascus, right? In verse 1 it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. His mission, his purpose for going to Damascus was to persecute the church, was it not? He wanted to find anybody who was of the way. They weren't called Christians yet, remember? 
But they were of this way. They were of this sect of the Nazarenes, the sect of Jesus. And he said, if we find anybody, we're going to bring them back bound. We're going to throw them in prison. And that's what Saul wanted to do. In fact, in verse 4 and 5, let's read this again. After the voice calls out to him, it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You talk about an earth-shattering revelation. Would that not be one? In verses 1 and 2, Saul's ready to get anybody that dare says that they are followers of Christ. He's ready to throw them in prison. He's ready to stone them. He's ready to put them to death. But then God calls out to him and says, Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Do you think that Saul had some things to worry about? That he had some things to be worried about? <laughs> go, back, go back in Acts chapter 5. You'll remember that as Paul is recounting his former life, he mentions that he studied under the feet of Gamaliel, a very well-known member of the Sanhedrin Council. Well, I see no reason to believe that the same Gamaliel that Saul studied under isn't the same Gamaliel that we read about here in Acts chapter 5. I believe that it is. And do you remember that as the council is threatening the disciples, threatening the apostles, don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus anymore. It's Gamaliel who speaks up and says, let's set them outside a little bit. And we often talk about the good advice that Gamaliel gives. You know, I think it was Brother Chris that did an imitation talk about Gamaliel, the fence sitter, right? You know, he tries to play both sides. But his advice, it has a lot of, of, of truth in it. Because notice in verse 38, he says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. It appears that there are some Jews, even among the council, who recognize that you don't want to be on the wrong side with God. You don't want to fight against something that is God's plan. If this is God's plan, there is nothing you can do to stop it. Now, if this is the same Gamaliel that Saul of Tarsus studied under... Don't you think that this would have been one of the lessons that he would have been taught? Saul, you don't fight against God. Saul, there, if it's of God, then you don't stand in its way because if you try to, you're going to lose. Now, go back to Saul of Tarsus now. Here he is going into the city of Damascus, a place where he was going to persecute the church. And now Jesus has called out to him and says, why are you persecuting me? You know what that tells Saul? I'm fighting against God. Once again, let me ask you the question. Do you think that he has some things to worry about? Absolutely, he did. When you look back in verse 6, and he's trembling, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. What could he possibly do? Think about that. 
What could he possibly do? He's persecuted the church. He consented to Stephen's death. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. What could he possibly do? He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That's what Brother Luke read read to us just a little bit ago, right? Of the strictest sect of the Jews, he was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Under the Mosaical law, what would he have been taught for this situation? Well, let's think. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Wouldn't that have been what the Pharisees taught? Wouldn't he have been taught, well, a life for life? Do you imagine what's going through his mind? And notice once again, God doesn't give him the answer right away, does he? For three days and nights, Saul is blind. He's sitting in the city. He's praying, and you know he has to be worried sick. Think back to when you were a child. Some of the worst words, and I could not stand hearing these words. I'm not going to spank you yet. I want you to go to your room and think about what you've done. Ooh, I couldn't stand that. Because you know what that meant, right? You knew you were going to get a spanking. You knew there was punishment coming. But now you had to sit there and you had to kind of wait for it. You had to think about it. Well, I wonder how many licks I'm going to get this time. My mama's weapon of choice was a fly swatter. You know, who is it going to be, the metal one or the plastic one? Those hurt. <laughs> you got to think about it, right? How many times as children where you're like, can, can I just get the spanking now? <laughs> can we not just get it over with now? Because the sooner it happens, the sooner you can, you know, recover from it, right? For three days and nights, don't you know Saul's having to wonder... What is God going to tell me to do? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What does that mean? What can I do for that? I took people's lives. What is God going to require of me now? Can you imagine the worry? Would you have been worried? For three days and nights, Paul is, or Saul is sitting there. And you know he had to have been worrying. What can I possibly do? To make this right. Let me give you the third thing. Right along with this idea of being worried. This idea of what can I possibly do. I want to ask you the question. Do you think that Saul maybe felt that he was irredeemable? Maybe there wasn't anything that he could do. Maybe there wasn't anything that God was going to tell him that he could save himself. But rather... God's expectation is, well, maybe he's going to be stoned like Stephen was stoned. The ironic thing is, he will be, right? Maybe, maybe there's, God's going to tell him, you know, I just can't forgive you for what you've done. How could God? How could God forgive him for all the horrible things that he had done against his people? As we already made mention, you remember the first time that we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus, Right? As the righteous man Stephen is being drugged out of the city, the council are gnashing at him with their teeth. They're just spitting mad. They drag him out. They stone him. Well, who do they lay their garments at the feet of? 
Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it tells us that not only did they lay the clothes at the feet of Saul, it says Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, verse 3, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. How could God forgive him for doing that? He made havoc of the church. This was a man who was not content with just stoning Stephen. This was a man who wanted the church destroyed, is it not? This is a man who he thought he was doing God's will. He wanted every person who dared blaspheme against God in his mind, he wanted them gone. How could God possibly forgive that? Let's go back to Philippians chapter 3, and I appreciate Brother Luke reading that this morning. Paul never once tried to deny his past, did he? He never once tried to, to downplay it or look past it. The fact of what he had done to the church. Notice starting back in verse 4. It says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Verse 6. Concerning zeal. Concerning zeal. Persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law. Blameless. Saul knew what he had done. Paul readily admits that he persecuted the church. And we're not talking just a little persecution, right? He says he had great zeal. He was zealous in his work. That's why he was going to Damascus, right? He showed great zeal in persecuting the church, dragging off men and women. Anyone who dared speak the name of Jesus, that's who he went after. Do you remember how he felt about himself? Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 15... Paul writing to his beloved son of the faith. Notice what he says. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Saul knew what he was doing. He thought he was persecuting the church to please God. Jesus tells him, You're kicking against the goads. You're persecuting God. Do you think that Saul maybe felt, there's nothing I can do? There's no way God is going to forgive me. Do you think that maybe he's thinking about all the people that he's committed to prison? Remember how it says he was breathing murders against the church? Do you think he's sitting there thinking about the men and women that, that he's condemned to death? And do you think he's thinking to himself, there's nothing that God can do for me. I don't deserve anything from God. 
I don't deserve any chance at redemption. I don't deserve anything from God. I deserve death. Do you think that's what he thought? Do you think that Saul felt that he was irredeemable? There was nothing that would save him. Saul's conversion, I think it mimics so well everyone's conversion to Christ. I think it does. Becoming a Christian is easily the most important decision that any of us will ever make. You know, I know Brother Salih talked about, you know, the choice to, to be on God's side, absolutely. But becoming a Christian is such an important choice. It's more important than where you're going to go to school. It's more important than what career you choose. It's more important than who you decide to marry. Now, are those important decisions? Absolutely. But becoming a Christian is easily the most important one you'll ever make. Deciding to serve God. That's the choice. Can I suggest to you this morning that fear can be a powerful motivator? Fear can be a powerful motivator. Look over in First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians chapter one. In verse eight, Paul at this point writes, "In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed." I want you to think back to when you made the choice to become a Christian. Why did you make that choice? I'll tell you my story, and I think I've told y'all this before, but I'll go ahead and tell you again. And maybe this is similar circumstances. I had just finished sixth grade, and my family decided that we were going to take this, this very long trip out west. We were going to drive. We were going to go to the Grand Canyon. We were going to go out west and tour all these places. And I remember thinking one night, I was in bed just sitting there thinking, what would happen if I died on that trip? I know, very morbid, right? But that's what I was thinking about. What would happen if I died on that trip? And the more I got to thinking about it, the more I started thinking, I'm not sure that my soul would be saved. I'm not sure that if I died on that trip, that I would go to heaven. That terrified me. It terrified me so much that the next day I told my mom that I want to be baptized. She called the preacher. We met at the church building and I was baptized that day. Maybe you had a similar revelation in your mind. Now understand, I'm not suggesting that fear is the only motivation to serve God. It is a great motivator, but we understand that as we grow as Christians that eventually we always fear God, we respect Him, but we learn to love Him and we want to serve Him because we love Him. Not because we think God is going to strike us dead at any, mo any moment, but we want to serve Him. Understand that there's that growth, right? But in that initial decision to become a Christian, 
fear can be such a great motivator. Because think about what sin does to us. When we realize that we have sinned against God, we recognize that we have that separation from God. Remember what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 verse 31? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's scary. When you think about that moment we become a Christian, how did you feel at that moment? In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, we've used this verse before. We use it in the, in the Noah sermon, but I think it's so applicable in this one as well. When we become a child of God, God does not want us walking around with our heads hung low, constantly just worrying, am I going to go to heaven? That's not what God wants. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, notice what he says. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. God wants us to have confidence. Once again, not arrogance, not boastfulness, not proud, but He wants us to have confidence in our faith. I dare say that the majority of conversations I have with people with whether they call me up or I'm talking to them, the, the most common thing that we end up talking about is, I just, I worry sometimes that I'm not saved. I worry sometimes that I'm not going to heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if you ever have those thoughts, how dare you. Don't misunderstand that. Sometimes there, there are times where, you know, that, those worries, I think we all worry about that at times. But the thing that I usually try to get them to understand, and maybe this morning if you're having these kind of thoughts as well, maybe something I can help you understand as well. If you're having those thoughts of, well, I just don't know, I'm worried, ask yourself, why? Why are you worried about it? Because if you're honest with yourself, the majority of times people will say, well, I'm worried because whether it be sin, whether it be not growing the way they should, not praying the way they should, reading the Bible the way they should, there's usually a reason behind it. So this morning, if you're here and, and you're worried about your salvation, why is that? Identify the problem. But remember, identifying the problem is what? The first step. See what I did there? What are you going to do about it? God doesn't want us to worry about it. He says we can have confidence. We can boldly become before the throne of grace. Don't worry about your salvation if you're doing what God said. <coughs> there is not a single person who is irredeemable in the sight of God. I don't care what baggage you have, I don't care what you've done in the past. Jesus tells us all of them. Let's just read it. I don't want to mess it up. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus tells us, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We sing songs like the gospel is for all, right? Do we believe that? The gospel is for all. 
I don't have it on the outline, but I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I just want to read a couple more verses. I really love Brother Salee's sermon Friday night, The Beauty of the Church. And how he talked about when the church is working together and it's doing what God tells them to do and we're really truly seeking after God, it is a beautiful thing. And amen, it is. But when we look at the people that make up the church, we all have a history. We all have a past. We all have baggage. I want you to read about the church here at Corinth. At Corinth. And notice some of the baggage that they had. Starting in verse 9, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That is quite the laundry list of, of sins, is it not? I mean, how many things are left out of that list? Not much. Well, Paul, that's kind of a duh statement. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know that. Well, of course, an adulterer and a drunkard and a homosexual, those people don't have a part in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Does that sound like a group of God's people? Yes, it does. Such were some. What's the word were? Past tense. That's what you used to be. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All can be saved. I fully believe that, don't you? But the sad thing is, not all will be saved. Take out your songbook. Turn the number that Brother Jacob selected. Saul believed that he was doing God's will, did he not? Do you remember in Acts chapter 23 and verse 1, he says, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience to this day. He thought he was doing God's will. He thought he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. But when he was shown the truth, he had a choice to make. Jacob, this was my, my invitation and you nailed it directly. <laughs> he had a choice to make, didn't he? Many people choose to reject God's instructions. I've sat in many Bible studies where, where we'll show somebody who's living in sin and we'll show them in the Scriptures, this is what God's Word says. Well, I don't like that. I don't believe that. And at some point you have to say, well, it really doesn't matter what you like or what you believe. What does God's Word say? But Saul wasn't like that, was he? When he was told, Saul, you can have redemption. You can be saved. What did he do? He was baptized. Acts 22, verse 16. And I said, Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Could you imagine the relief that Saul felt? I can wash away my sins. All those horrible things that I've done, I can have those washed away. Yes. Brethren, it's the same thing for us today. Once again, I'm not trying to, to diminish things that you've done in your past. I'm not trying to gloss over and say, well, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. 
the gods can wash away those sins. The blood of Christ can wash us clean. That's the beauty of the gospel. So this morning, two more questions. One, are we living a life of Christ? Galatians 2 verse 20 is one of my favorite passages. (laughs) How many times do you hear that? Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that not what a Christian is supposed to be? Live for Jesus. Are we living a life for Christ? Or are we living a life that will be rejected by God? Which one is it? It's one or the other. Remember what God said. You can't serve two masters. James tells us, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Pick a side. Which side have we picked? I hope the lesson has been beneficial. I will admit that of all the sermons so far, this is my favorite. You might have a different one, but this is my favorite. We have one more lesson in this series. Lord willing, next week we're going to look at the idea of Jesus' first steps to the cross. But this morning we're going to offer an invitation. An invitation that if you have never been buried in the waters of baptism, an invitation for you to do that. Be like that Ethiopian eunuch. See, here is water. Well, we've got to turn it on, but there's water back here. What hinders you from being baptized? If you're here this morning and you have been baptized, but you're not living that life of Christ... Live it. If you need help, if you need the prayers, we we will pray with you, we'll pray for you, we will do everything that we can. Because at the end of the day, we want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. And I want you to be there as well. This morning, if there's any way that we can help, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing this song?